In this episode, we're going to be talking about a spinal cord injury case study. And in this case study, we're going to be talking about a patient named John Smith. He's a 19-year-old male who was transported to the emergency department via ambulance after attempting to dive off of a 30-foot embankment into water. A spinal cord injury is suspected. What priority assessments and actions should the nurse take when John arrives to the ED? So right away, we know that there's a spinal cord injury suspected. And the only way that you could really suspect that is by, I would think, loss of movement or paralysis of the extremities. And um, we don't have enough information at this point to know what level the injury is at or how severe it is or really what symptoms there are. And so you would start your assessments by looking at airway. Of course, does he have an airway? We assume he does if he's not cyanotic. Um, we would look and see if he's breathing. Are his respirations normal? Are they regular? Is there is the rate normal? Are there any kind of abnormal respiratory patterns occurring? Those are what you're looking at with breathing. And then, of course, the next thing with breathing is SpO2. Um, what's he sitting out on room air? And as soon as you get that assessment, if it's less than 90, you would apply oxygen, supplemental oxygen. Generally speaking, we would do that in the emergency department with a non-rebreather mask. And then if that's not successful in increasing the SpO2, at that point, you could increase the uh, FiO2 on that supplemental oxygen until it gets so high or the SpO2 is so low that it's just very clear um, that we need to be drawing ABGs. And from the ABGs, we would then look at that FiO2 uh, or sorry, PF ratio, the PaO2, FiO2, and um, determine if they're in ARDS or, you know, respiratory failure. And then at that point, we could see he needs mechanical ventilation. We would go ahead and intubate the patient at that point. Um, so those are your A's and B's. C's are your pulses. C's is your heart rate and your blood pressure. Now, this is a spinal cord injury patient. So there's a lot of things that could be going on that uh, complications that could occur right off the bat. We need to make sure that he has a um, systolic blood pressure at least 90 millimeters of mercury or higher. Um, if it's lower than 90 millimeters of mercury, then that tells us that he's really um, probably experiencing neurogenic shock where he has loss of the um, vascular tone, the an inability to vasoconstrict um, and so there's, that's going to impact perfusion by impacting cardiac output, right? The heart's beating, but since there's a maldistribution of blood over the course of the body, then there's no blood returning to the heart, so there's no um, blood being pumped out to the organs. Another really obvious way that you could see this is level of consciousness. Um, is he alert? Is he oriented? If so, oriented to what? You would do a GCS right away. You would also look at urine output, um, although... With such a short amount of time, urine output isn't going to be super helpful just yet. Um, so pulses, heart rate, blood pressure, um, even the temperature of the skin would be very helpful at this point because if he has that cool, clammy skin um, versus, you know, flesh skin, that tells you a lot about uh, stages of shock. So um, those are the priority assessments at this point. The other one that we haven't hit on yet is just other injuries. 
Does he have anything else going on? What are his pupils looking like? Because if one is blown and one is not, if neither is reactive to um, light, then you're also probably looking at some kind of traumatic brain injury, which is certainly a possibility in this situation. He has jumped off, dived off of a 30-foot embankment into water. Um, And so increased intracranial pressure could definitely be something that is um, likely. So just as a recap, we've hit on um, level of consciousness, orientation. You, We've hit on, you know, vital signs, all of them. Um, obviously, breath sounds would eventually be important, but probably not the first thing that you would jump to right away. Although it would tell you if he had like a pneumothorax and he's just, you know, has a collapsed lung from the trauma. That's a possibility. But that's really... Um, that goes down to like you're looking at other injuries, not, you know, the first thing that you're looking at. Um, so airway, breathing, circulation, pulses, cap refill, uh, temperature of the skin. One thing that we hadn't hit on is neurological function. Is he able to move his extremities? Is he able to squeeze your hands with his hands? Is he able to push against your hands with resistance, um, on his feet? Uh, so yeah, neurological function there, and you wouldn't necessarily get super far in depth with that at this point in time because you still need to look at other injuries. Um, okay, so what diagnostic order should the nurse anticipate the provider to order? This is just a spinal cord injury case study, so we're not going to get into any other types of injury. Let's just call it a pure spinal cord injury. Nothing else is going on. Well, the way that we're going to look at that and assess that is a CT scan or an MRI. And um, generally speaking, an MRI is much better, but generally they are, they take longer and they're almost never available. So that's why a CT scan can be a lot faster at diagnosing um, a spinal cord injury quickly. And then we can always do an MRI later to, you know, further rule out other issues that might be happening. So... Um, X-ray may also be helpful initially, but um, definitely the diagnostic order that you would anticipate would be a CT scan um, or MRI. And then again, um, once we have diagnosed a spinal cord injury, we're going to start that comprehensive neurological assessment. We want to know everything, the whole extent of the disability that has occurred. Um, A CT angiogram is going to rule out any vascular damage, and so um, typically they can do that at the same time as a CT scan, Um, but they may not do it at the same time as a CT scan if they're trying to get a quick diagnosis. What other provider orders should the nurse anticipate? Well, we're really thinking, okay, C-collar has to be in place. Um, We're going to get two large bore IVs in this patient. We're going to maintain SBO2s at... 90% or higher. Um, We would probably make sure that that systolic blood pressure remains at 90 millimeters of mercury. And so we would be giving fluid boluses to do that. We may even start some critical medications to make sure that that systolic blood pressure remains elevated. Anything from levofed to um, dopamine to vasopressors, it really just depends um, on the extent of the injury and kind of the overall hemodynamic status of the patient. And then again, if you are um, working with a patient who is not able to maintain a PaO2, 
then you're going to uh, anticipate that they would eventually get on mechanical ventilation. And um, depending on the um, extent of that respiratory failure, that will be that will determine how quickly they go on that. Okay, so John Smith is diagnosed with a C4 injury and tetraplegia. What acute and chronic problems will need to be addressed? What are six nursing diagnoses that will be applicable to John's plan of care? And list three nursing interventions for each diagnosis. I'm like not happy that I wrote this <laughs> slide because this is a lot of work. But, you know, right away, we know that he's a C4 injury. And so we know that there's going to be impaired physical mobility. And anytime you have a patient with impaired physical mobility, you are going to be doing careful and diligent skin assessments. That patient needs to be on an air mattress because we need to prevent, prevent, prevent pressure ulcers. And then, um, you know, assessing them uh, with the Braden scale and um, turning them at least every two hours, if not more frequently. They're going to need to be on a high protein diet. Um, you know, worst case scenario is that John Smith ends up not getting nutrition for a few days and then he gets into a negative nitrogen balance. And that would not be good because I'd really set him up for um, pressure ulcers. So we want to make sure that he's eating right off the bat. We want to do really diligent assessments on the skin and prevent skin breakdown. Um, so that's number one, right? Nursing diagnosis number one. Number two, I would say, is risk for decreased cardiac output because at any moment he could definitely go into neurogenic shock and there is that underlying risk there. We know that there's going to be some, um, you know, sympathetic nervous system issues and possibly some parasympathetic nervous system issues because of the level of injury. And so we're just going to be monitoring his blood pressure, right? That's your nursing intervention, monitoring his blood pressure, his vital signs all the time continuously. Um, this person's definitely going to go straight to the ICU, and so that won't be a problem at all. But at any point, um, his blood pressure could drop below 90 millimeters of mercury. It could also increase above 300 millimeters of mercury if he goes into hyperreflexia. So monitor blood pressure. That's really, really important. Hit, monitoring his heart rate is also really important. Um, and then um, I know that this one doesn't seem as obvious, especially in terms of risk for decreased cardiac output, but you would probably want to monitor his urine output and make sure that his urine output is um, being maintained at 30 milliliters an hour because if he experiences a, a drop in cardiac output and his kidneys are not getting a perfusion, they're going to stop creating urine. And that's going to be evidenced in his urine output. Um, okay, so we talked about impaired physical mobility. We talked about um, uh, risk for decreased cardiac output. I mean, let's talk about, um, oh man, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I should have probably done this like beforehand, right? Um, so let's talk about like impaired uh, bowel function. I'm sure that there's like a really pretty nursing diagnosis that would encompass that. But all of a sudden, he is uh, probably likely to be uh, experiencing neurogenic bowel. And as a result of neurogenic bowel, he's not going to be able to defecate regularly or um, kind of at will. And so that means that he's not, it's not that he's not creating poop or that he's, um, 
you know, having diarrhea, what it really means is he's really set up for constipation issues because his colon is going to fill up with feces and then he's not going to be able to tell that he needs to go to the bathroom. His body's just not going to be able to sense that. Um, so yeah, that's a big deal. And really what you're going to be doing is encouraging fluids, right? We're definitely going to make sure we're maintaining an adequate amount of fluid intake. Um, probably administering stool softeners as a prevention for constipation. But then also you're going to be thinking about things like regular enemas or um, maybe even regular laxatives, things like that, that uh, so that his, he's more likely to evacuate his bowels. Um, he also has neurogenic bladder, so we can definitely impaired urinary uh, function, something to that, you know, um, within that vein would be really helpful because um, he's also going to have the inability to tell that his bladder's full. And so you're going to be doing straight catheterizations or he's going to have a Foley in place um, pretty continuously. Now, eventually, someone will probably be cathing him or he'll get like a urostomy or something like that. But um, yeah. Um, and so with impaired urinary elimination, you're going to be assessing his urine output. You're going to be straight cathing him and maintaining sterile technique as much as possible. So I think straight cathing him is usually like every two to three hours, maybe even every four. Uh, we just don't want that bladder to become overly distended. And you're always going to be looking at urine char characteristics to make sure that he's maintaining adequate hydration. Um, another one that we haven't talked about yet that's a really big one for a C4 injury is um, ineffective breathing pattern. Because his is ineffective because he's not going to have an, a breathing pattern because his diaphragm and respiratory muscles are paralyzed. And so... Um, he would be a very good candidate for long-term mechanical ventilation, but in the short term, he's going to be ventilated with the endotracheal tube. And so we want to assess constantly his ABGs. Like this will be every two hours at first. We want to be looking at that PaO2. We want to be looking at his uh, serum pH, his serum PaCO2, and his bicarb levels and be basically managing that for him. And then this would be a really, another really good intervention would just be continuous assessment of his SVO2. Um, and also, you know, anytime you have a patient who's getting mechanical ventilation, uh, again, we're doing those ABGs, we're looking at that SVO2, but we're always going to be trying to maintain uh, SVO2 above 90%. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, the other thing with this is if he is um, endo, he's on, has a, sorry, endotracheal tube, he's very likely to be sedated so that we can keep him uh, not pulling at his lines and things. And so um, you are going to be suctioning out that ET tube pretty regularly because he is having an ineffective airway clearance. That's another really high priority nursing diagnosis here. Um, and so these are all kind of more acute, but ineffective airway clearance, uh, the nursing diagnoses there would be monitoring his breath sounds pretty regularly because we want to make sure that he's not getting congested, he's not getting pneumonia. He's lost his coughing reflex, and that's why he can't clear his airway. Well, also we're sedating him, and he has an endotracheal tube. 
Um, and so he's not going to be able to get any secretions that his respiratory system is making up. And so we need to, number one, be listening to those lung sounds, but number two, be suctioning his um, endotracheal tube as needed. Um, and then, uh, you know, doing like, mm, I'm trying to think what else you would probably, I mean, albuterol would be really helpful. Typically you'll give albuterol and then suction out that airway. Um, you can also give like nebulized saline to kind of thin out any secretions as well. So we'll leave that there. Um, I'm trying to think what else I would say. I mean, golly, you could go nuts on this. Um, I would say maybe the last one is, there are so many to choose from. So let's just say, um, ineffective coping, right? Uh, or at least risk for ineffective coping. I mean, he was walking and talking and jumping off a cliff one minute and now he's in the hospital and he'll wake up in the ICU completely paralyzed from the neck down. And so um, even if there's not much you can do at the acute, we didn't focus much on chronic issues. So um, you would be assessing, you know, his coping, assessing his support systems, assessing financial resources that he has because that can add a huge stress. And then just even like health literacy, is he going to be able to take, what resources does he have at home? What, um, is his cognitive ability to take care of himself or like, you know, understand his overlying health issues. So um, that's probably plenty for that one. And then let's do the last slide. So John remains in the ICU for several weeks before being transferred to the medical surgical floor. The overnight nurse reports during shift change that John developed a severe headache overnight that did not improve with Tylenol. What complication could be developing? What assessments should the nurse make to confirm? And what actions would the nurse prioritize? So anytime you hear severe headache um, in a person who has experienced a spinal cord injury, and if especially if it's not responsive to like um, pain medications that would normally take care of a headache, you really need to be ding, 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 hyperreflexia, autonomic hyperreflexia. And um, that's a complication that you should always go straight to as soon as you hear severe or, um, you know, terrible headache in any spinal cord injury patient. What assessments would the nurse make to confirm this is very easy? The first things that you're looking at are blood pressure. Systolic blood pressure would jump up and heart rate would jump down. That pulse gets really low and the um, pulse that you can palpate is bounding, meaning like it's jumping out at you. And so if you checked his radial pulse and it was just slow but super strong and his heart rate was through the, or his blood pressure was through the roof, you are essentially have confirmed there's hyperreflexia occurring and you need to do something about it right away. Um, okay, so what do you do? You increase the head of the bed 45 degrees and then you start looking for causes. And typically this is a distended bladder or distended bowel. And so if he doesn't have a Foley catheter and typically, you know, it, it may be out by now, so you'd straight cath him and wanna make sure that any distension in his bladder is completely gone. 
And then um, if that doesn't help, you're looking at bowel distension. Has his rectum filled up with um, feces and do we need to help get those out right away? You would do, in this situation, it, it truly is a medical emergency. We need to get that blood pressure down quickly. So you would probably do a digital rectal exam and just remove whatever feces you can. Um, another solution to anytime you have like distended bowel is, um, or like, you know, your large int intestines, your rectum is full and distended, you could always do an enema. Although at this point you might not have time to go and, um, get all of that squared away before, uh, you know, something bad happens. So this would not be ideal to hear from an overnight nurse. You would really want them to pick up on it and do something about it before you came on shift. Um, that's all I have for you on this case study. Please reach out and let me know if you have any questions at all about this. Thanks.